Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Tough Questions. When we follow Jesus as our Lord, we do so by faith, but not blind faith. So somewhere along the way, questions will arise. That's good because seeking answers will help us grow deeper in faith. Tough Questions tackles some of the difficult questions people have about Christianity. During the past several months, as we transition to live streaming our services on Sundays, we have created an online library of videos. If you're interested in listening to or watching any of our previous messages, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. However, moving forward, these messages will be available as part of our sermon podcast as well. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody gathered here with us uh, on campus and online. We're glad you're here. And we're starting this new series today called Tough Questions. Not tough questions for moms, but tough questions uh, about about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, look, I'm excited uh, to be back here today. I was able to be here last uh, Sunday with you because I had a mountain biking accident and I'm recovering. Some of you know about it. Appreciate your prayers. I'm grateful for that. But but let's dig into this uh, series today. We're going to be looking at this question about, really, what's the big deal about the Bible for followers of Jesus? So I want to share with you something that uh, Professor Stephen Prothero, the chairman of the religion department at Boston University, does every year on the first day of classes with all of his undergraduates. He gives them a 15-question quiz, and it's about the Bible. So I thought it'd be fun Uh, for us to uh, look at some of those questions today. So if you've got a piece of paper or your phone, take it out and you can write some notes. I'm going to go through these a little quickly, so you may just want to use some shorthand, but, but see if you know the answers to these questions. Here's the first question. Name the four Gospels. Name the four Gospels. All right. I apologize. I am going to move through them rather quickly. The second question, where, according to the Bible, was Jesus born? Where was Jesus born? Here's the third question. President George W. Bush at his first inaugural address talked about the Jericho Road. What story was he referring to when he talked about the Jericho Road? What are the first five books of the Hebrew Bible or the Christian Old Testament? What are the first five books of the Old Testament? What is the golden rule? What is the golden rule? So the next two questions are, I'm going to give you statements, and you need to tell me where they're found in the Bible. All right, here's the first one. God helps those who help themselves. Where is that found in the Bible? Here's the second one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Where is that found in the Bible? And here's the final one. We're just going to do eight. Name the Ten Commandments. All right. All right. So let's, let's run through them, okay? The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, according to the Bible, where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. When uh, President Bush was referring to the Jericho Road, what was the story he was referring to? Parable of Good Samaritan. What are the first five books in our Old Testament? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
Where is the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, found in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Benjamin Franklin is credited with saying that. Where is this phrase found in the Bible? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's found in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And now, the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. You should not make a graven image. You should not take the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, you should remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You should honor your father and mother. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you should not covet. Anybody get 100? All right. Now, the reason this professor does this in this secular university is because he believes everybody should have a basic knowledge of the Bible. And if anybody should have a basic knowledge of the Bible, it should be followers of Jesus. All right? Now, as Christians, we believe the Bible is a big deal. We believe it's, it's very important. So why? Okay? Well, to us, the Bible is ju not just a collection of books and letters written over thousands of years by many different human authors. It's not a book of rules. It's not a book of history. It's the very word of God spoken to us, and it speaks to followers of Jesus generation after generation. We should all adopt the view that Jesus had of Scripture. In the Gospel of Matthew, he said this, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to take to heart Jesus' view of Scripture and embrace it as our own. Now, while the Scriptures that we have were initially written by human hands, Jesus and his followers understood and understand still that the author of these Scriptures is God. So, the big deal about the scriptures is this. We believe that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the very Spirit of God. So let's talk about that. In the second book of Timothy, it says this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So this tells us that the Bible is inspired by God. Another, tra another translation says it is God-breathed. What does that mean? It means that the, the very God who breathed life into our lungs at birth breathed out and inspired these words for us. Pastor and professor James Emery Wright explains the inspiration of the Bible this way. He says, the Bible is not a human book. It was written by humans, but as they were moved by God. It does reflect their personality, vocabulary, and writing style, but the act of writing itself was stirred by God. More than 3,000 times in the Bible, we find writers using some form of the expression, the Lord says... The prophet Jeremiah recorded God saying to him these words, I have put my words in your mouth. That's what God said to Jeremiah. So the idea of inspiration, the inspiration of scripture is that God uses people to write the books of the Bible. But 
God was so involved in the process that they wrote exactly what God intended for them to write. Now, one of the clearest expressions of this idea can be found in the writings of the Apostle Peter. And this is what he says. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. That's important. They spoke from God. All right. Now, in contrast, as a pastor, I've written and preached over 1,400 messages in my ministry. And never once have I said that these words that I'm preaching are the word of God. I will quote the word of God. I will study the word of God. I will present the word of God. But I don't speak for God. I share God's word. Now, do I sense the wisdom and guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit when I prepare? Yes, I do. I, I would tell you I almost always experience, but I will tell you that any message written by any human may quote the Word of God, but is not equivalent to the Word of God. You see, we believe that the Bible is holy. That means that it's set apart from all other writings. While it was written by humans, those humans were instruments of the Spirit of God to write His Word and record it. And God's Word is special and different because it is the very Word of God, the very, good, very Word of God that Jesus followed and that He calls His followers to follow. Now, since we believe that it's the very Word of God, that also means this. It means we believe that Scripture is perfect without any error. Perfect without error. So when it comes to the Bible, think about it. As Christians, we put a lot of trust in its accuracy and in its perfection. We do that because we trust God and his will for us. So in scripture, it talks a lot about God's word. And, and one scripture in particular, Psalm 119, if you've ever looked at it, read it, studied it, it is the longest psalm in the Bible. It has 176 verses and it's all about God's word, about its qualities, about its power, about its reliability and trustworthiness. So let me just share two verses from Psalm 119. Verse 138, your laws are perfect and completely trustworthy. Verse 142, your justice is eternal and your instructions are perfectly true. So when we say that the Bible is perfect and without error, we're saying that Scripture is trustworthy, that it doesn't contain mistakes. So in other words, it's perfect. So let me help you understand how the veracity of Scripture has been scrutinized, how its truthfulness has been examined and studied and proved and stood up to that test over the centuries. You see, when it comes to studying the integrity of the ancient manuscripts, scholars ask three questions about those ancient manuscripts that exist today. They, the first question they ask is, how many manuscripts of a certain writing have been found? All right. How early is the oldest one of those manuscripts? In other words, uh, how soon was it written, uh, com copied compared to the original? And then number three, how accurately were those manuscripts copied? Now remember, all of these manuscripts date back before there was a printing press for all of that copying happened hand by hand by hand. And so that's important. So now 
These questions are vital to ask because we need to know about the truthfulness and accuracy of Scripture. Think about this. The more copies of the manuscripts you have, the more comparisons you can make to check for accuracy in copying. And the older a manuscript is, in other words, the closer it is to the original document, then obviously the more trustworthy it is. So these questions help us verify that the copying was accurate and that nothing was added or nothing was taken out of that. Let me give you just some examples. Oh, we all know who Julius Caesar was. He died in 44 BC. He was the emperor of Rome. He wrote a book called The Gaelic Wars. Today, there are only 10 copies of that ancient manuscript that survived. Only 10 copies, okay? The, the youngest, if you might say, or excuse me, the oldest, you might say, the one that's closest to Julius Caesar's life is dated 900 years after his death. All right, that, that's, that's a, a huge amount of time between the original and when that copy was made. The Greek philosopher Plato, uh, he wrote uh, a lot and only 10 of his manuscripts uh, survived. He lived in the third century BC. Of those 10 manuscripts, the oldest one, or the one that was closest to the original, is 1,400 years after it was written. Now, here's something for us to consider about both of these authors and their manuscripts. No one questions the authenticity or the veracity or the accuracy of those manuscripts. Now, historically, people have tried to poke holes in Scripture all along, and they've tried to, to disprove it and, and say things about it that said it was false or that it was, uh, it was uh, taken out of context or, or that the copies were in, incorrect. So biblical scholars have studied this, and they've wanted to study it exactly the way they do all ancient manuscripts. So let's look at this. Some of the earliest manuscripts that we have, let's just talk about the New Testament. Some of the earliest manuscripts we have are copies that were made less than 30 years after the original, all right? Now, of that, here's what you need to know. Uh, there are more than 5,600 known manuscripts in the ancient Greek language of New Testament letters and books. Now, if you add the other copies of, that were written in Latin or other ancient languages, you add 18,000 copies to that. So if you're adding, that's over 24,000 copies to compare and to study and to check the veracity of. Now, F.F. Bruce is a scholar, and he says this. He goes, there is no other body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament does. In other words, nothing else has the volume of existing manuscripts. Nothing is closer in dates to when the originals were written, and none has had the accuracy checked, accuracy, accuracy checked and verified as much as the New Testament. So why does all this matter? It matters because Christ followers need to be able to trust that the Bible is accurate and true. We want to trust the integrity of the scripture. In the world of, of biblical scholarship, scholars are still constantly studying ancient manuscripts and they're studying ancient archaeology to verify the accuracy of the text that we read as well as verifying the biblical historical record matches up to the history of the Middle East. 
Why? So that we can have confidence in this. Let, let me share with you one of the ways that maybe you've noticed and didn't even know, to, know that you were seeing it, how that veracity has been footnoted. If you've ever been reading through the Gospel of John and you've come to chapter 8, where there's the story of the woman caught in adultery, you may have noticed in your translation of Scripture that it, it says this, this footnote, earliest copies of this manuscript do not contain the following story. Now, why is that important? It's important First of all, because we know that the scriptures are reliable. And when scholars discovered that the earliest copies of the Gospel of John didn't include that story in John chapter 8, they wanted to give full disclosure. Now, does that cause an issue with our faith? Does that make us trust the Bible less? No, it doesn't. It shows us that scholars are being transparent. It shows us that people are, are showing us that looks like sometime after the original copy of John was written, this story was inserted. Now, what does it say to that story? Does it mean that story is false? It doesn't necessarily make that story false at all. In fact, scholars believe that it's right in line with how Jesus lived and acted. They're just saying that it wasn't in the earliest copies. Now that should give us peace of mind. Why? Because it shows us that as people learn more about scripture, they're not hiding things. They're being fully transparent. They're showing to us the truthfulness and the accuracy of scripture. But here's the most important thing that Christians need to know about the Bible. They need to know that the Bible is authoritative for our faith, in our conduct. In other words, it's the supreme authority for how we live out our faith, for how we live our daily lives. Because we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, we want to live in God-honoring biblical ways. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessaloniki, he shared his heart about what God had inspired him to write, what God had told him to write. And this is what he says. He goes, Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, notice that, his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. So you see, from the very beginning, they accepted scripture. It's the very word of God. You see, followers of Jesus understand that the Bible is God's word for us today and tomorrow. And as such, it has the highest place of authority for us to determine how to follow Jesus and how to live our lives. Remember, the Bible is not a book of rules. The Bible is not a book of history. Rather, it's the most important message that we can have. It is the very word of God to us who speaks to us. Now, through the Bible, God speaks to you and to me about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, God speaks identity over us, that we are his sons and his daughters, that we're, we're his children by faith in Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a moment, okay? If God's word in all of its authority speaks over you and me, our identity as followers of Jesus. That means that God's word affirms to us that we are his, that we are his beloved sons, 
that we are his beloved daughters. You see, that's so important because people in our lives would like to tear us down and tell us that we're not good enough. Our culture would like to, to tear us down and tell us that, that we're not right. But God's word says that we're his sons and his daughters, that he loves us. God's word gives us our identity and that means if it is that authority in our lives that we proclaim it is, then we need to turn to it and we need to open it up and we need to let it pour into our lives and speak to us. So with that said, let me go back to the scriptures we read from 2 Timothy. Remember what it was. It says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So it does five things for us. It teaches us what is true. It shows us what is wrong in our lives. We need to have sin exposed in our lives. And then it corrects us when we do wrong. And then it teaches us what is right to do. And it prepares us and equips us to do God's good and pleasing word, will. This is so important. See, that we, that we study God's word, that we memorize God's word, that we use God's word, that we read it every day to take it into our lives because it is the supreme authority for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Cynthia and I were talking about this message this week and I asked her if she would share the authority of God's word in her life. So I'm going to invite Cynthia to come on up. Thank you for sharing with us. Hello again. You're welcome. So if you know me, you've probably heard me say that the Bible is my everything and my only thing all at once. It has truly been my lifeline since I was 14 years old. I think about that verse from 2 Timothy. This Bible is God-breathed. It's a living document. And, you know, it says that it is um, the breath of God. And it also says that it completes us and it equips us. And, you know, I think a lot of times people want other things or other people to complete them, to equip them. And you and I have been married 34 years. And I know, and you, and happy anniversary to you. And you love me so well, and you serve me so well, our whole family, but you really are an amazing husband. With all that you do and, and how you love me, you still can't complete me. And you can't equip me to go out and do what I'm supposed to, you know, I'm made to do. You can pray for me, which you do. Um, but you can't complete me or equip me, but God's word can. And it says that right in 2 Timothy. So we don't have to depend on someone else for that. Um, you know, God's word is a, a book about God and it's a book about how to follow God. But I think so much, it's also just God's way of connecting with us. You know, when he created us, he didn't just create us and say, okay, have a great time. Um, he created us because he wants to connect with us. He longs to walk with us. He wants to be with us. And one of the ways that he can be with us is through his word. 
It's so absolutely personal. Um, I've been reading this book by Jen Wilkin, and it's called Women of the Word. And she says that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So I'm going to say that again. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And I want to be in a love relationship with God. He loves me so much. And I want to love him right back. And so to do that, I've got to know, I've got to know him through his word. You know, um, the Bible is very personal. There's nothing that Jesus hasn't been through that we are going through or that we've been through. And in the past couple of years, as you guys know, I've been thrown some things that I didn't see coming. And... I read a verse, I found a verse, actually last summer I was in the Seamless Bible Study here, and someone read the verse from a small book in the back of the Old Testament, and it was Joel 2.25, and it says, he will restore everything that the locusts have stolen. And that brings hope to me, that he's restoring, he's active, he loves us. If there's something broken, if there's a broken relationship, if there's something that's hard, if there's something that's unkind, he's restoring it. It says so right in Joel 2.25 that he is restoring. And I can bank on that. You know, you talked about how scripture is true. And so I can apply that in the way that I believe his word. But I've got to know what it says. And it's not a magic eight ball. You know, it's not something that we can open up and just hope, oh, I hope it's a lucky verse of the day. You know, oh, I hope I get a good one. Um, but it really is in the habit of, of sitting with the Lord that I just find the greatest peace and the greatest joy. And God is fun. You know, he really is. He's so personal. He's going to reveal his word to you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to sink into your heart. And you're going to be transformed by it. You're going to be able to love him more. And you know what? You're going to be able to love those folks who are hard to love. You're going to be able to love those around you. So I just want to encourage you to, to sit with the word of God. There are a lot of different reading plans. I know that... Um, that you're going to touch on. I have a Bible study going on Monday nights. It's an online study. It's called Rooted in the Word. And really, whether you have been a Christian for a long time, whether you've believed in God for a long time, or whether this is kind of new to you, I'd love to have you join the Bible study. We're only a week in. It's still a great time to join. It's five weeks of really how to study the Bible. So whether you're 15 or 115, this is a really great study for you. Um, Monday nights, 7 o'clock on Zoom. If you sign up through uh, valleybrook.cc, I'll send you an email and give you the information. So. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So, so where does that leave us, okay, as followers of Jesus? The Bible's a big deal. It's a big deal to us. It's inspired by the Spirit of God. It's perfect and true, and, and it's our authority and how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So what should our response be? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, look, you need to read the Bible. Honestly, you need to be reading the Bible more than you're uh, watching K-12 
cable news or network news or social media. We need to let it be our guide and not those other things, okay? Because they're not the word of God. We need to take it in. And as Cynthia said, you know, you know, there are tons and tons of Bible reading plans. Go to the Bible app. You can have a different one every week or you can have a year-long Bible reading plan. And look, you may say, look, Clark, I'm just not a good reader. Guess what? The Bible app will actually read it out loud to you so you can uh, let it speak to you and you can listen to God's word. So we don't have any excuse. We can read the word of God. We need to take it in. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. We need to let it be the guiding principle of how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, maybe you're saying, well, Clark, I'm not a, I'm not a follower of Jesus yet, but you can be. And I want to encourage you that if you're not, I want to encourage you to start reading the Bible and start following some Bible reading plans. And I want to say this to you today. If you want to be a, become a follower of Jesus, you can today. I'm going to guide you in just a moment in a prayer. I'm going to give you some phrases that you can put in your own words and pray them back to God silently wherever you are here or are online. And then I'm going to pray for all of us that we would really have a passion and a heart to lean into God's word because it's a big deal for us. God speaks to us primarily through the scriptures. He does speak to us in other ways, but primarily through the scriptures. So wherever you are, would you bow your heads and let me pray. Lord, as we come here today, we recognize that uh, we desire to love you and follow you. And, and so for anybody who's never told you that, that they want to be your follower, I'm just going to give you these phrases just to pray back to God. Put them in your own words. Here's the first one. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And now I commit my life to following him. And still in an attitude of prayer, Lord, I pray for every single one of us that you would give us a passion to uh, live our lives with God's word every day, to read it, to memorize it, to study it, to let it be your voice speaking to us every day. And we're your servants and we want to hear from you. So Lord, do this in all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.